Thank you for that ministry of music. And uh, we are going to use some handouts this morning. And so the fellows are coming to distribute those. Uh, we are, as I said, going to have more of an abbreviated message. So I'm going to depart from Matthew this morning. Because uh, my message was not short this morning, I can guarantee you. And I'm really excited about it. And couldn't wait to preach it, so now I get to wait another week. Uh, so it'll be even longer next week. Uh, no, no. Uh, it's done, it's done. But um, it is a, a great parable, and it really fits with the ensuing parable, so I don't want to cut it short, etc. So instead, we are using a handout that was snowed out. Uh, when I was teaching my class on Elijah and Elisha. Uh, So that's where this handout comes from. And we'll be spending just a few, well, more than a few moments, spend a little time uh, looking at this handout, but I'm only going to do the first half. So don't let it scare you. And just because I'm a nice guy... And uh, I'm going to try to cut things short. I'm going to stand. And uh, that'll be an incentive instead of sitting, okay? But I have this incredible ability or curse, depending on how you view it, of having a one-track mind. And if I get into a zone... Nothing phases me. And if I get into a zone this morning, I could stand here for two hours. And I'd be okay until I go home, and then I'd really feel bad. But all to say, Jack, if I'm more than 15 or 20 minutes, flag me, okay? Because uh, I just might, might go. But this morning, uh, look with me at this, this handout if you would. Does everybody have one? Anybody need a handout? We're going to talk about grace and judgment, the removal and bestowal of a curse. But this morning, we're just going to look at the first aspect, the removal of a curse. We want to be emphasizing God's grace and the way in which he used a particular prophet, and that prophet was Elisha. So let us begin by looking at the removal of a curse. There was a city that is being considered that was under judgment. And it's a significant city. Notice 2 Kings 2.18. And they came back to him while he was staying at Jericho. And he said to them, did I not say to you, do not go? The reason we have that portion of scripture listed there is because the sons of the prophets had gone out to search for the body of Elijah. Elijah had been miraculously taken up into heaven. Just snatched out of the presence of Elisha. Raptured, if you will. And when 
Elisha had returned to Jericho and to the sons of the prophets, they wanted to search for the body of Elisha, uh, Elijah. And Elisha said, don't bother going, you won't find it. But they kept pressing him, and eventually he said, okay, go. And they went, obviously could not find it, and came back. But this verse gives us the information that we want, and that is that the people came to him from the city of Jericho. Jericho had been the first city of the Canaanites to be conquered by the Israelites. Joshua 6, 1 and 2. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. The city had been completely destroyed at God's command. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in the house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. Joshua 6.24 And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. So the city of Jericho is totally destroyed, totally annihilated. And God had pronounced a curse upon the one that would rebuild the city, Joshua 6.26. Joshua laid an oath on them at that time, saying, Cursed be the Lord, before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city of Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation, and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up the gates. It was in the time of Ahab, king of Israel, that Jericho was rebuilt. And Ahab made an Asherah, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. So the city of Jericho had just recently been rebuilt. It had been rebuilt in the time of Ahab. Ahab has just uh, passed off of the scene. And the curse that was associated with the rebuilding of Jericho took place. In his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. So you see this persistence in rebellion. God had said that if the city of Jericho is going to be rebuilt, the person who rebuilds it is going to offer their son. He is going to extract that penalty. You would think that that would be a tremendous deterrent for somebody to build the city. Then you would think if the one son would die, that he would get the message. 
You'd think that he'd stop and say, you know, this wasn't a good idea to rebuild this city. It appears that the prophetic word of God is coming to pass. But he continues in his hardness of heart. And this passage is a microcosm of what's taking place in Israel as they have hardened their heart to the word of God. So here is this Heel who hardens his heart and loses uh, his children as a result. That's the background. Now, the condition of the city. Now, the city was re-inhabited by Israelites. Now, the many of the men of the city said to Elisha. So here are these men of Jericho coming out to meet Elisha. One might ask the question, why would an Israelite want to live in an accursed city? How could they attract people to live in Jericho? What realtor could put a spin on a city that is under a curse to invite the children of Israel to come and live in it. Obviously, they didn't believe it was cursed. Obviously, they thought everything is okay. They really didn't heed the word of God. So not only did Heel not learn from the destruction of his sons, but the nation of Israel in general did not learn from the destruction of his sons. So they go to live in this cursed city. Number two, this is the only hint that we have as to why the children of Israel may have chosen to live in this particular city. The city was beautiful and viewed as a wonderful place to live. 2 Kings 2.19, Now the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of this city is pleasant as my Lord sees. It's a beautiful city. It has just been rebuilt. Okay, so it's got all the modern amenities for its time. All the houses that are in it are nice, spanking new. It was a notable city. It was a powerful city. It's a city with a long tradition. And so they moved into this city, and they are having it, and they, they say to Elisha, Elisha, look at this. This is a, a great place. But it's got one problem. However, the area was still under a curse. Now the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of the city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. Just how bad was it and how unfruitful was it is told to us at the end of verse 21. Then he went to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water from now on. Neither death nor a miscarriage shall come from it. So what happened was 
that there were an inordinate number of people that were dying and miscarrying. So that curse of building this city in the offspring is now being experienced by the general inhabitants of that city. Now their offspring is dying, just like Hiel's offspring were dying. So they come to Elisha and says, this is a great place, except it kills children. The men of the city came to Elisha to have the curse removed. I say here, probably the water was polluted. Now the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situated city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad. So in the grace of God, Elijah, uh, that should be Elisha, removes the curse. The men of the city are obedient to Elisha's command. He said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it, so they brought it to him. Here we begin to see a change that takes place in the grace of God. For those who previously would not heed the word of God now are going to listen to the prophet Elisha. That's quite remarkable because the solution that he's going to offer seems a bit odd. He says, go get me some salt. But they do it. They are going to trust the instruction of Elisha, which is going to be the beginning of the removal of the curse. For it is the beginning of repentance. When prior they would not heed the word of God, though it made great sense, now they are going to heed the word of God, though it doesn't make much sense. So salt is put into the water to remove the curse. He said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water from now on. Neither death nor miscarriage shall come of it. Now, we need to understand that the salt has no medicinal effect in removing the curse. You can say to yourself, how does salt purify or cleanse a polluted river? And the answer is, it doesn't. It can't, and it won't. It is God who heals this water, for it is God who removes the curse. Verse 21, then he went to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. The grace of God in removing the curse. So the water has been healed to this day. This day being the writing of the book of Second Kings. So, a once and done fix. Again, pointing to the grace of God. Again, demonstrating it's not the salt. 
Okay? You put salt into a river, it's soon going to be washed away. The benefits are going to be short-lived. The point is they don't have to keep retreating the water. They're not depositing salt in it every day. They're not recycling. Salt put it once, it's healed forever because God is removing the curse. What is significant is the role of Elisha in removing the curse. Verse 22, so the water has been healed to this day according to the word that Elisha spoke. That is the most significant aspect about this particular text. That it came in association with the prophetic ministry of Elisha. It was at his word. It was intended to be a demonstration that all that Elisha says should be obeyed. It was a second chance for the nation of Israel to put their faith and trust and confidence in a prophet. The symbolism of salt in removing the curse. So in Kings 2, 20 and 21, he said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. Elisha was salt, if you will, and we should be as well. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 and following. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, Elisha is going to bring glory to God. He is going to allow God's good works to shine forth. And so they are going to place their faith in Jehovah again. The second section of this story is about some young boys that come out and begin to mock Elisha. And they are going to be torn up pieces by a wild animal. They are going to be condemned. And it's rather shocking. But you need to see it in light of the role that Elisha is playing. And it's demonstrating the contrast of those that honor Elisha because they are honoring the word of God and those who dishonor Elisha because they are dishonoring the word of God. It's a message that we should heed God's word as it is proclaimed. When we submit ourselves to God's word, we avoid hardship, tragedy, difficulty, curse, 
But even when we have disobeyed, there's an opportunity for repentance, to come back and ask God to remove the consequences of our sinfulness. And uh, I'm confident that uh, removal of the consequence, uh, he will always remove the separation that it brings in our relationship to God, and oftentimes even removes much of the heartache and tragedy that's associated with our disobedience, even as he did in the city of Jericho. But to take God's word lightly is certainly a problematic and harmful situation. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, help us as we seek to be obedient and desirous of you. I just look out over this congregation and I am thankful for your people and for their coming this morning. Bless them, I pray. Keep them safe as they go home. And uh, Lord, may our thoughts be of you this day. And may we glorify you in all things. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.